Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show that is so bad, if it was a beer, it would not be approved by any shrewd judge. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining weekly pipe smoking broadcast. And I am your host, Brian Levine, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina, where it finally is starting to feel like fall. Maybe finally we're going to get some fall weather, so uh, (laughs) that'd be nice. Uh, On tonight's show, we will, uh, in pipe parts, I'll be talking about what I did to my my smoking room, my... uh, office space my fun room you know where all the smoking happens and what i did in here to handle the smoke uh my guest will be story time with sykes wilford and if you remember sykes was here for a week and this will be uh i think i got enough for about three episodes so this will be number one of three and we'll spread them out for you so it won't be all back to back but uh we'll have that and then uh, music, mailbag, and rant. All that coming up on this week's episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. Uh, and, and as we get into fall, it, this always happens to me. For, and it seems like, uh, just, as, just as, an, as an example, uh, the weekends just fly by around here this time of the year because... Last weekend we had a uh, we went to the Renaissance Fair and then went to a uh, nephew's birthday party, and then the weekend before that we were in Portland. The weekend before that I was in Kansas City for the pipe show. Uh, this upcoming weekend we're going to Greenville, North Carolina for the East Carolina Pirates football game and see the marching band. Then on uh, the weekend after that, we're going to uh, Columbia, South Carolina to see the Newsboys and Jody Davis and hang out with him. Uh, So basically, it's like five weekends in a row where I'm really not home. Uh, And on top of that, I missed what looked like two great pipe shows in the uh, core Richmond show and then the uh, the Texas pipe show in Dallas. Looks like everybody had a good time, so I may have to... And next year, juggle things around and carve out some time for those two events because uh, looks like everybody had a great time, and I was kind of jealous. But I was also busy. All right, let's get the show rolling. So everybody, sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you all for tuning in, and here we go. This is Phil Morgan, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Corncob Pipes in Washington, Missouri. Our mission since 1869 has been to produce great smoking pipes that anyone can afford. We guarantee our pipes won't be your most expensive, but they just might be the ones you smoke the most. At Missouri Meerschaum Company, we don't just sell our corncob pipes. We grow them, make them, and smoke them. Missouri Meerschaum, Washington, Missouri, since 1869. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. All right, so for my uh, for my smoking room, which you know, it's uh, I, I'm I'm very lucky to have a very nice big space for me to smoke in the house, and I understand that. Now, in order to make sure that the smoke didn't go anywhere else into the house while I'm inside, uh, I started looking around at ideas of putting exhaust fans in. So the uh, the smoking room is upstairs uh, on you know top floor of the house and right next door uh, just adjacent to the smoking room is a, is an attic space it's a little crawl space and access to air conditioning stuff and all that so what i started looking at again was an exhaust fan uh, now my my smoking room has two levels of air cleaning I've talked about the Rabbit Air air cleaners that are, you know, kind of pricey. They're they're five hundred dollars, but they're automated. Uh, they've got odor sensors, so they automatically kick on. Right now, one's running, and you can barely hear it because I'm not smoking at the moment. Uh, but if I was to smoke, you would hear it 
sense that and it might pick it up. So they, they run kind of silently in the background 24 hours a day. Uh, when there's smoke, it detects it and picks up the speed to clear it out until that odor goes away. Uh, what I wanted to do, though, was create some negative air pressure. So in the house, uh, you know, I didn't want the smoke going down or out of this room into the house anywhere. Uh, so on the top wall, and I'm, I'm going to post, uh, I'll have Kevin post pictures on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on PipesMagazine.com of what I did. Uh, I found online an agricultural fan. It's really designed for either a small workshop or a greenhouse, and it's automatically louvered on one side and then open on the other. So we mounted it in reverse, cut a hole in that wall, 12-inch hole, uh, 12 by 12 square, mounted that fan so that the louvers are in the attic space, and all the air is flowing out into the attic space. So what it does is it just keeps a negative pressure. If I have it on low, like I have it on low right now, I can hear it. It's not overly loud. Um, it's not perfectly quiet either because, again, this is an agricultural fan that comes on a dimmered powered switch, and it's got, uh, uh, I believe, four speeds to it. And as you crank up the speeds, the louvers on the inside or on the attic side of it open up. Uh, for decorate for decorative purposes, I went on to eBay and found a Victorian or yeah, 19, 1900s era uh, heater vent or heater grill that was originally a floor grill, but and just painted it bright white, and we <laughs> managed to uh, get it jammed up on the wall. But it just looks better than having a wide open hole there. Uh, but here's the best part of the fan. When I turn it on to its highest setting, which it's on a dimmer switch on the wall, it's moving 1,100 cubic feet of air per minute. So on the other side of the room, I can crack a window if the weather outside is tolerable. I can crack a window and it brings all that fresh air into the room and takes everything that is up high and pushes it out into the attic space. Uh, I can, with the uh, if I want to, downstairs in the house, I can crack a window or open a door, and I'm pulling air throughout the entire house, upstairs, and out into the attic space. That 1,100 cubic foot fan and having my uh, friends come over and do the installation and having an electrician come in and wire it and do all that, uh, we're talking about $400 maybe 450 total to get it installed. But the beauty of it is, even with all the windows closed, uh, if I've been up here smoking all day or working on stuff, I can turn that on high and in a half hour, it takes most of the smoke out of this area and, again, just doesn't leave that, um, that musty smell behind. I mean, you can tell that there is that there has been smoking going on in this room. That's obvious, but it's not going down into the house. I mean, you really have to get to like the third or fourth stair from the top of the stairways coming into the room before you start to smell smoke. Um, if I really want to clean out the room and the weather's good, I can I can open up all the windows in here, turn that fan on high, and let it run for a couple of hours. And, yeah, it almost smells like the room is smoke-free. Now, if you're doing indoor smoking and you really want it to stay nice and fresh and clean in there, uh, clean out your pipe at the end of it. Put the, put the ashes in a coffee can or something sealable like that. Don't leave ashes sitting out in a trash can or sitting in an ashtray overnight. That smell will linger and you just can't get rid of it. So there you go. Uh, the smoking room, including the Rabbit Air air cleaners and then my, uh, <laughs> my custom-installed wall fan, which, again, you'll see pictures of. And maybe uh, if you go to my uh, – maybe over the weekend I'll be able to shoot a – or towards the end of the week I'll shoot a video and post that on Facebook for you. Any comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com. And in just a moment, uh, story time with Sykes. This is Internet Radio. I'm Jeremy Reeves, 
head blender of Cornell & Deal Pipe Tobacco Company. At Cornell & Deal, we think the best things in life are better with age, and we are passionate about creating the best possible pipe tobacco available. Fueled by this passion, we introduced the Cellar Series, a collection of blends like no other. While the blends in this series are ready to smoke now, each one has been meticulously designed to optimize depth and complexity as the tobacco ages in the tin. Currently, the Cellar Series is comprised of Oak Alley, Chenet's Cake, Joie de Vivre, Old Grove, and Bourbon Blue, but we will be unveiling new additions to this very special series as time goes on. Pick up a tin to smoke now and save a few for later enjoyment so that you can experience all the richness and subtlety each blend will reveal through the years. Cornell & Deal's Cellar Series. The secret ingredient is time. Contact your local or online retailer for information. And we are back. All right, so just remember a couple weeks ago, Sykes and his wife and son and their cats were here as the uh, hurricane bared down on their hometown, and uh, we were hanging out, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, it, it was it was really cool just kind of hanging out at night and smoking pipes and talking about pipes and tobaccos and family stuff and all that. And uh, during that time, Sykes and I sat down, turned on the microphones, and recorded some of our uh, favorite stories. So uh, here's part one of uh, Story Time with Sykes. So... Let, let let's go back and talk you know maybe we can maybe we can tell um tell for public consumption stories of some of our favorite people uh in, in particular peter heeshan who i used to call uncle peter and every time i'd see him i'd grab him by the head and kiss his bald forehead which was you know five foot four five foot five but you i mean you got to know him a lot better than i did I, I, I guess I spent a lot of time with Peter over the years. I spent a lot of time at his house with, with him um, near Odense. Uh, did a lot of pipe shows with Peter, uh, Richmond and Chicago year after year. Um, yeah, we were, we were pretty close. He's the only person that successfully or not so successfully convinced me that I should make a pipe in his workshop. <laughs> um, Wait, so he's the, you, you, that's the only pipe you've ever made? Yes, I, there were there were two <laughs> that I started that Peter fixed that I screwed up again that Peter fixed again that I then stained and buffed because I could actually do that part. <laughs> now, did when you went to Peter's house, did he cap? Did he go out and catch the meal for the night? I think I, I mean there were we're talking a lot of years here. Um, there were a couple of times where it was chickens that were his um i think he might have caught a fish once i, I can't remember um but we did a lot of that stuff i mean we did a lot of like getting vegetables out of his garden and and that was going with whatever meat he had bought for dinner and, and things like that yeah particularly particularly when you know before kirsten died before his wife died um and she would make she maintained a a, a pretty extraordinary garden and, and peter did a lot of that too but but uh it there was less of that after after his wife passed and then, of course, Peter was famous for his antics at pipe shows or when he was traveling. Was he the same kind of wild and crazy guy at home, or was he a little more tame? I, maybe slightly, slightly tamer. And he and he got tamer as as the years went on. Um, uh, I do remember. So so I uh, I called him. Normally, my pattern for many, many years was I would, I would drive to Svenborg, visit McBaron, um, do tobacco business stuff. Uh, and then, and then go from there to, to Peter. And these are, you know, this is a business trip for me in both cases. These are business relationships in both places and, and people I'm fond of in, in both cases, but completely different experiences. You know, one is, is very much a sort of structured business environment with, you know, a factory and machines and, and production that goes on. And then the, the next stop is Peter. So I, I call him when I'm leaving McBaron and it's a little earlier than, than I was anticipating or I originally told him. And I don't remember why. Um, and, uh, and I was there 15 minutes later and, and he hadn't had time to shower yet. Um, and so he was, you know, like coming out of having been working in the garden and working in the pipe shop and, and, and let me guess you got to see a full fledged, uh, farmer Peter all unprepared for visitors, but, uh, let's, let's talk about driving in Denmark. 
How many? All right. So the so the only time I've ever driven in a foreign country, I'll, I'll tell this story on myself because I was I was traveling with Brigham. We went to Italy. It was the day that we got. I mean, literally flown overnight into Rome. Went and had lunch in the southern part of Rome, which was as far as the train would go from the airport, because apparently not all trains lead to Rome, but all roads do. Uh, then we go back to the airport, pick up the other guys. We drive across the we drive across the state, across the country to Reconati, and we meet one of the pipe factory owners there, and we go to have dinner with him. And I said, I was a little worried because I was really tired and jet lagged and and all that and I said well I won't drink tonight because I don't want to make myself you know I, I don't need a hangover I don't need a headache I need to be good in the morning and they said when we got to dinner everybody else said okay great then we'll drink and I didn't have the nerve to tell them that I had never driven in a foreign country before um, but I finally got up the nerve after they had after a couple of bottles of wine had been passed around and I'm perfectly sober drinking water and I finally told him I said you know I'm a little nervous about this driving back you know because I've never driven in a foreign country before and they said oh it's fine it's Italy the road the you know the traffic signs are kind of suggestive um I you know we survived but had you've driven in how many different foreign countries I've driven all over Western Europe I mean I I don't know. You, I haven't driven in <laughs> Ireland, uh, and I haven't driven in Spain. That's that's sort of the, Germany West. I've it, yeah, pretty much driven in, in all of Western Europe, but I, I have for a long time. I mean, I, I grew up in the UK. I you know learned to drive in the US, but spent a lot of time there, and then you know I've traveled all over Western Europe for work for a long time. Um, so all those funny signs make sense to you? No, some of them don't. They're the, like the, the hump and the double hump signs in, in Italy. I have no idea what those mean, and I ignore them. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, what, you know, let, let's go all the way back because, you know, back when you first started in the business side of it, you were, you know, I, I looked at you and said, damn, you're young. And I was younger than everybody else by about 20 years at that point. Um. What was the the first time you went and met like Tokotomi or some of the some of the Japanese guys? How did that how did that really get started? Um, that was sort of accidental. It was uh, uh, through a I, I hope I can tell the story. Um, uh, that was through a uh, a mutual friend of of sorts or a couple of mutual friends. Uh, we had a customer who was a a Saudi diplomat stationed in Tokyo. Um, and he was a, a wonderful, wonderful, uh, man, really nice guy. Um, and, uh, uh, he, he and I had just gotten talking and, uh, he said, well, there's some great Japanese pipe makers and no one really, uh, knew, knew Japanese pipe makers at that point, aside from, from Torn Smith, who is probably not a name that a lot of people recognize anymore, yeah. but he was a major pipe collector in the late nineties, the beginning of the two thousands. Um, so I knew Torn knew about Japanese pipes at that point. This was early 2002 when this is all this conversation is happening with this uh, uh, Saudi diplomat in, in Tokyo, um, and uh, and he said you should come and I'll introduce you to to Barney Suzuki, who's the at at the time was the president of the Pipe Club of Japan. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know we'll spend some time together. The World Cup was happening in in I think it was Japan and South Korea uh, in 2002. Um, I, my memory is a bit fuzzy on the you know on the sports side of this. My pipe memory is better. <laughs> um, and and we'll go to a we'll we'll go to a, a football game, a soccer match. Um, uh, because he could get tickets to the Saudi games as because he was part of the embassy. Uh, um, embassy staff um, he uh, he was not the ambassador but he was like an economic advisor in the embassy um, and uh, and so we got talking and I I went for two weeks that first time in, in June of 2002 so that was I was 21 years old um, and uh, he he introduced me to to uh, introduced me to Barney Suzuki who then introduced me to 
uh, Togotomi to Sato to Shuzo Arita, who's Takeo Arita's father. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'd already met Sabsuge at that point once previously, but but it was sort of a reintroduction to him because my previous meeting had been been pretty brief, um, and that was sort of what what got the the Japanese high grade pipe thing going uh, outside of Japan for the first time. Um, in in two thousand two two thousand three with smoking pipes, um, it it also led to just some of the most culturally interesting, bizarre, and funny experiences of my life. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, I want to hear them. <laughs> okay, so so first of all, at one point, so I was there for two weeks, and you know we did all sorts of stuff, and but one night. Um, uh, uh, Dr. Shada, the, the Saudi diplomat, uh, just wanted to, you know, said, well, why don't we just stay at home and, um, we'll, we'll order in, um, or something and, and, and watch, uh, you know, watch some television, hang out, chat, whatever. We were exhausted. We'd been doing pipe maker stuff and all that, whatever. I'm like, oh, this is a great idea. So I walked to the Saudi embassy and, and went up to his apartment, which was in the Saudi embassy compound. And, uh, and it, at some point, you know, we'd been chatting for a while and it's like, let's just watch some television. You know, I'm kind of done with it. I'm like, okay, final. So we were watching deep space nine. I was watching deep space nine <laughs> while sitting in the Saudi embassy in Tokyo. <laughs> and I had this moment of, of like, this is just, how does this happen? Like this is just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're still in college pretty much at that point, aren't you? At that point, I, at that point, I literally was still in college. Yes. Yeah. So I mean that's when smokingpipes.com was in your dorm room. Well, that's okay. So that's a myth. It was never actually <laughs> in my dorm room. That a number enough people have written that at this point that that's sort of a foundational myth. Um but that's sort of um and we will take a break right here and come back with more story time with Sykes. Meet Aaron, one of the most important people at SmokingPipes.com. In our shipping department, he's one of the cogs in the highly efficient wheel, if you will, that's responsible for making sure your order goes out right every time. Ain't that right, Aaron? I don't know all about that cog in the wheel stuff, but I do know at SmokingPipes.com, I take my work very seriously. Pulling tents of tobacco, weighing bulk tobacco, triple checking orders, and getting them out the door. Since it's so easy to order from SmokingPipes.com, you're keeping Aaron pretty darn busy. Look at him go, go, go. <laughs> in fact, it's been a challenge to get him to stop long enough to say hello. But Aaron doesn't mind. He loves his job at SmokingPipes.com. Why is that, Aaron? Because I don't just ship pipes. I smoke them. Gotta run. <laughs> just log on to SmokingPipes.com or call us at 1-888-366-0345. We are quality. We are experts. We are SmokingPipes.com. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show, and here we go with more story time with Sykes Wilford. Yeah, that's a bit of history that's made up that's truthy that isn't true, but we wait, had a, wait, a terrible... Wait, are you going to tell me Apple wasn't invented in their garage? Oh, I don't know. I can't speak for that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, don't 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 go <laughs> bursting all these bubbles. <laughs> we, we had a, a 2,000 square foot warehouse in, in uh, southeast Nashville. Um uh, we it wasn't actually my dorm room. <laughs> I did uh, a lot of the initial writing for the website from my dorm room, though. If that helps, okay, that helps. All right, but the brain, you know, the, you know, Facebook was created in a dorm room, and Apple was created in a garage, and so you know, smoking pipes had to be created in a dorm room. It makes for a better story, or somebody's a, bedroom. Or, it is sadly not true. If I could go back and do it again, I would have done it in a dorm room, such that the <laughs> foundational myth could be could be true. Or you could have just slept in the facility that you had, but I did do that actually <laughs> far far too many nights during the first couple of years. Um, did the uh, did I mean did the Jap were the Japanese pipe makers originally were they receptive to you? Did they kind of give you the the weird eye of you know what you know who is this kid and what is he doing? You know, looking back on it, it's sort of amazing that they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Shuzo Arita decided he had had a, a bad experience with, with another American company years prior to this. 
Um, and he's just like, no, I'm not going to do this. This guy's young. He doesn't know what he's doing, which is what's a perfectly accurate assessment of my of my competence at the time. Both correct. Both correct. <laughs> um, I'm not going to do this. But but Sato and Tokotomi, I, I guess there was a certain amount of, well, what do I have to lose? Um, and then and then uh, I had talked enough with with Barney Suzuki at that point that that uh, Barney incorrectly assumed that I actually knew what I was talking about. Um, uh, and uh, so so I had sort of had his seal of approval, which was which was really uh, valuable, and important, and, and very kind for him to uh, uh, demonstrate the sort of trust in a twenty one year old American that he barely knew. Um, but but there was I think a lot of it was just there wasn't a lot of downside for either of them because they were there were there was no uh, they had no following outside of Japan at that point um, and uh, it was it was an opportunity and if it didn't go well it didn't go well what was the you know yeah. what was the worst that could happen they would sell some pipes and it wouldn't go anywhere from there um, and uh, so you know I look back on it and I and I and I think like what. You know, I didn't. I had no idea what I was doing. Like, really, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and except that I loved pipes, and you know, I, I I knew how to write, and I had this vague sense that the internet was was a thing. Um, and and I had a website at that point, and you know, little bits and pieces like that. But uh, but I really had no idea what I was doing because um, I was you know I wasn't even a business major or anything. I was a history major, and I had a semester of corporate accounting I knew nothing um, uh, this, but was there a culture shock when you were dealing with them or was that your first time dealing with the Japanese culture yes um, I mean yes and no as far as culture shock in, in some respects there was less culture shock than I had anticipated because I had really schooled myself pretty carefully uh, on on Japanese cultural practices and so uh, in, the problem with reading about a culture and and etiquette and things like that is that the reality is far is far less rigid in any culture than what is on the page so if you read about you know if, if a Japanese person or a German or a whatever you know reads a business etiquette book for the United States I, I, <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. It, well, exactly. And and yeah. and um, and some of it's valid. You know, Americans are very straightforward, and and uh, Americans um, tend to tend to negotiate in this way or that way. And some of it is valuable. But then you read some of it, and I'm like, I don't think any. It's just not. It might be literally true in very specific circumstances, but it's not. You know, you or I would pick it up and go, well, this is just kind of an odd thing to suggest. And so I think in some respects I was overprepared between the sort of business etiquette and the and the background history reading I had done and and stuff like that. Um, it was it was less challenging than, than I expected it to be. Um, the 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 train stations were, were challenging. Um, <laughs> Nothing written in English. There, uh, no. Well, at the time, sort of no. Um, uh, so uh, when um, when the Japanese used the, the Latin character set they described as Romanji, uh, and uh, and today um, everything is 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 done both in kanji and and uh, and the Latin character set, or most everything. Um, when I first went, which I mean, we're not talking like fifty years ago. We're talking. Yeah. 16 years ago um, there was a lot and still in the train system there wasn't so that was challenging I spent a fair bit of time trying to match up kanji characters with what was in my little guidebook that had both but this is this is perfect for me to tell my my story of the German trains and trying to get from uh, from Dortmund Germany to Dusseldorf uh, and I had Eric Stokeby with me Eric Stokeby and I took a cab from the hotel to the train station together. Eric was going to Frankfurt for his flight. For his flight, I was going to Dusseldorf. So Eric, of course, being Danish and having lived in Denmark and worked in Germany and stuff, was is, is fairly fluent in German. So I asked Eric, I said, all right, well, you know, tell me what ticket to buy and tell me what train, what track to go to. He did. He bought the, you know, I bought the ticket. I get the ticket and i'm not sure what it really says 
but Eric said, go get on this track and this will take you directly to the, uh, to the Dusseldorf airport. It'll be like the fourth or fifth stop. Well, I'm walking there and I get to the track and I'm looking up and I'm like, I don't see anybody else with suitcases. I don't see any, it looks like a bunch of kids are going somewhere on a trip or something. And I start walking back to the ticketing counter to go ask them a question and see what it is. I run into two guys from Miami that are in the cigar leaf business that I know. They're both Cuban. Well, one's Cuban born. The other one's second generation American Cuban. And I said, where are you guys going? And, you know, surprised to see them in a train station. Surprised that I recognize anybody in a train station in Germany. And they said, well, we're going to Dusseldorf. And I said, oh, good. Is it on this track? And they said, no, it's on that track down there. So I said, okay, I'm going with you guys because either I'll be lost with you together or we'll get there <laughs> correctly. So it was, uh, I used two Cubans to help me find my way in Germany to get to the right train station. That's usually what I try to do. Find two Cubans exactly. in a train station exactly, in Europe yeah. and, yeah, and navigate your own way. Um, I don't remember the first time we met, do you? Yes, I think we was now, I was I nice? I think so. Oh, okay. You were trying to sell me books, um, which is a weird thing for you to be selling. Must have been the Peter Stokeby. It was the Peter Stokeby autobiography. Okay, yeah. Um, so I met you and Peter, or at least the first time I remember meeting you, and we had, we may have crossed paths prior to that. Uh, in must have been two thousand and one in Nashville at a weird pipe show that was a combined pipe show liquor show or something that was the uh the nashville southern gentlemen's yes. show and yes. pipe show and they were so kind because peter had just brought out his book so they put us in the main room away from the rest of the pipe people because there was like i thought you guys were just in the bar or maybe that's where you ended up we were in what was considered to be the main room where the bar was, but we were also right next to these uh, very lovely ladies that represented Jack Daniels that were making Jack Daniels Cosmopolitans for free for everybody. I remember that, yep. And I thought I was Danish, so... You're not, Brian. No, 10.30 in the morning. You. Yeah, no, mm-mm, Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Peter and I were having Cosmopolitans while he was signing his book and selling them. <laughs> That's why I don't remember meeting you. Okay, good. <laughs> you did sell me a stack of books. I did well. <laughs> Which Peter was happy for because Peter owned the books. The company didn't own the books. But as long as I was out with Peter, everybody was happy because... I was Peter's escort driver. <laughs> That's good. I was his. You might have sold. I don't think you sold us any pipes then. You sold. There was time. Some. There was a later time with Peter, where the three of us were somewhere together, where you sold us Peter Stokeby pipes. Yeah. When did you guys bring in tobacco into smokingpipes.com? More or less from the beginning, but we didn't do bulk until. Gosh. Um. No, we must have been a customer of yours. Well, I remember in like 2003 or four coming to see you because you were a bulk customer. Uh, I don't think you'd moved into the building yet. We were still in that, the uh, uh, tiny little It was a place that you didn't want me to go to because we met in a restaurant. Oh, seriously? Yeah. That must have been after Steve Monger came and we had just killed all all the rodents that lived there. (laughs) <laughs> I'll have to tell that story I've never publicly yeah. told that story oh, it, it, it took, me, okay, it took me a decade to tell Steve Go ahead Okay so it, At the time it was Me, Tony Santiago John Tillman and maybe one or two Other people um, So uh, We had discovered that we had So we had this like 1400 square foot Metal building that had one window unit for heating and cooling so there it, it was in this like weird little office space that was sort of 
part of it, but it wasn't really finished off us. We'd like put some <laughs> vinyl, cheapest vinyl tiles we could find on the floor, and we half painted the wall. Um, <laughs> and that was our office space. So, so half of the office space was heated and cold. The rest of it was not. And um, uh, we discovered sort of along the way that that a bunch of field mice from the field behind us had decided to make their home in and amongst. Um, you know, our, our equipment, but also, you know, sort of amongst the inventory, which I, I hasten to remind everybody, this was, this was 15 years ago. This is no longer an issue. <laughs> uh, we've moved multiple times since then. Uh, left the mice behind. We left the mice behind, but we, we at the time, it was like, this is, this is becoming an issue. We, they had popped open a bag of Samuel Gowith, uh, uh, I, I don't remember what it was, like squadron yeah. leader, um, <laughs> and, and decided to nest in it. Um, and we're like, okay, this, this can't, <laughs> I can't believe I just admitted that. Um, this can't, this can't go on. So, so we, um, obviously we disposed of the, the squadron leader in question and, um, put out a bunch of, of, uh, little rat poison, rodent poison pellets and uh to try to get this this problem under control so uh, a couple of days later uh steve munger comes to visit with ardor and brevia and, and whatnot and um i'm standing in our little office finished office area that isn't really finished with with steve and tony goes out into the warehouse to i don't know start a pot of coffee or i don't i don't remember and uh, and I'm chatting with Steve, and I'm you know whatever we're not really looking at pipes yet because there's no space in the office area to actually lay out pipes. It has to happen in the warehouse where we had tables. It's the same table we packed orders on because that was the only table big enough that we had. So uh, so Steve and I go out there in a little bit, and uh, and you know we have a cup of coffee and we look at the pipes and we buy some pipes and we have a nice time. And Steve leaves, and Tony looks at me with with this just look of tremendous relief and walks me over to the trash can where there are a half dozen or eight little mice just twitching um (laughs) so so we were in the office area and tony had like walked out there and and as he described it and you know it was six or eight but these stories grow over time um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Tony tells the story as being the killing fields of, of rodents <laughs> in the floor of the warehouse. And he's like running around having to sweep them all up and throw them away. Um, but yeah, that was the, uh, <laughs> that was the early days, very early days of, of smoking. Well, not that. I mean, we were three years in at that point, but early days of smoking pipes. So I, I remember that meeting or that first time coming to see you as the time I shot myself in the foot. Uh, because I re- I vividly remember that you sold tobacco in like two ounce, eight ounce, or sixteen ounce selections, and then the full five pound bag or whatever it was like. Yeah, yeah, we weren't selling one ounce then. Yeah, and I and I said to you, I said, you know, Sykes, I think you'd sell more if you sold one ounce bags, or maybe let people order by the ounce, you know, so that they could do home blending or whatever it was. You know, I'm I'm thinking in my I'm the Peter Stokeby sales rep. What can I do to get people to try my tobacco more? Which is make it as inexpensive to purchase as possible. So one ounce is a lot cheaper to buy than two ounces. And I don't know when exactly you started doing it, but you started doing it you know, afterwards. Then fast forward to my hazing week in 2009 when I came to work for you and you made me go into the then very small shipping area and work with the one shipping guy. And these bulk orders would come in and there'd be like eight, ten, one ounce bags of this, one ounce bag of that, one ounce bag of this. And I was like, oh, God, I wish these were all like four ounces, <laughs> please. Can you, instead of buying 12 one ounce bags of 12 different things, can you just buy one 12 ounce bag? It's a whole lot easier to pick, pack. We had to handwrite the labels. We were still, we were still handwriting labels when you started. Yeah. We were handwriting labels. You had to go get the butt, you know, had to get the bin off the shelf, bring it. You down. probably had to walk up uphill both directions to get that bin too. And it, it was probably snowing. No, it wasn't snowing, but it was very wet. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, but that was, uh, yeah, so that was my hazing of, okay, he's going to work here now. Good, you get to go pack one-ounce bags for a while. If it makes you feel better, these two episodes were not connected in my head. Uh, they were connected in mine. Okay. Um, I did get even with you, though. You got even with me many times. Because one, um, one of the two, or, yeah, one of the two th- lasting things that are visible at smokingpipes.com was... Um, I think you were away, and we had just lost the nasal snuff business because of the new regulations. Yeah, it was the PACT Act, right? Yeah. That, yeah, that extended to the, the Jenkins Act to include uh, all smokeless. smokeless. Yeah. So we couldn't sell nasal snuff, which equivalent, in your words alone, equi- equated to it covered the cost of coffee in the office. Yeah, it would not cover the cost of coffee now. No, 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 no. But I got even with you when I, along with uh, three of the other women in the company, decided that we were going to spend uh, about a thousand dollars and become a wholesale, uh, become a retailer of Lamp Berger fragrance lamps. I still hate you for that, Brian. Thank you. You're welcome. And Did I just? No, 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 no. I, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I got, I got to tell you, I don't like them myself. I appreciate the beauty of the lamps, but the some of the fragrances are so overwhelming. But at the same time, I, I think if you still go on the website now, you see. Oh, the we lamp still, yeah, yeah, we still, we still carry the product, and it, it has a lot of people in the office that really like it. Um, <laughs> I, I think it's wonderful, and everybody should buy it. Absolutely, and not burn it around you. Although, if a meeting was going too long, I'll, I'll tell my secrets. Um, if a meeting was going too long, there was two ways to end the meeting real quick. Um, one was light up a lamp berger, or two was to play Disney music somehow. Both were effective. Yeah, yeah. And there you have it, the first installment of Storytime with Sykes-Wilford, and we'll be back in just a minute. What are you looking for in a pipe? Is it the quality of aged briar? Is it a certain shape or finish? Maybe it's the sound engineering that ensures an effortless, smooth draw with each and every puff. That's exactly the kind of pipe Savinelli has delivered for generations now. With such a variety of shapes, finishes, and sizes, it's easy to find something that fits your sensibility and style. Just this year, we've expanded our lineup to include the Bianca, the Lancelotto, the 2015 Collection, and the final installment in the Leonardo da Vinci line, the Vitruvio. For a bolder style, try our more colorful 2015 editions as well. The exotic Cashmere, the sultry Licoricea, and the striking Archibaldino Red. So whatever you're looking for in a pipe, know there's a Savinelli waiting for you. Contact your local or online retailer to find your Savinelli today. This is Internet Radio. And we are back on the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, future episodes of uh, Stories with Sykes Wilford will be uh, coming up in the next couple of weeks and maybe a month or so. All right, for music, uh, my friend Dan Locklear sent me a link to uh, an article about George Butterworth in uh, Pipe Smoker. Born in England in July of 1885, composer, mu- uh, just you know, songwriter, I guess is a, is a, fair, is a fair description of him. Uh, he died at age 31 in World War One. was shot by a sniper at the Battle of, Battle of the Somme. And uh, anyway, this is just a this is just a beautiful piece of music. It's a little bit longer than normally what I would play on the radio show, but it's called the Banks of Green Willow. It's performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, and it's just really pretty and perfect for uh, either uh, either spring or fall. But uh, just a pretty piece of music. So here's George Butterworth.
see what I said about that just being pretty? And uh, and I guess it fits with Sykes living in England and us having a British composer on. You've got some mail. And remember, if you have any comments or questions, email me, brian at pipesmagazine.com or post them on the Pipes Magazine radio show page on uh, Pipes Magazine. I do love getting them and answering them occasionally. <laughs> uh, remember, if you email me and you don't hear back from me in a couple of days, email me again, just like Rabbi Ira did. Uh, he's talking about water cleaning, and he wrote, uh, I was reading on the forum a very interesting thread about cleaning a pipe by running water through the bowl and out the stem after each smoke. With great trepidation, I decided to try it and have been very pleased with the results. Am I missing something? What's your opinion on this best IRA? Well, you know what? I've, I'd only ever heard of people doing this before, and I really don't, you know, I, I don't see a need for it. Um... I think the you know the water in there is going to uh, you know not clean it out as well as my little dab of Everclear on a pipe cleaner, and you know but if it's working, don't don't mess around with it. Uh, just make sure that you get it extra dry, and I guess I would I guess the only thing that I would be worried about is water in the mortise between the uh, tenon and the and in and the draft hole in there, and causing the wood to swell up that might create an extra tight tenon mortise joint there and cause the wood to crack but if anybody else has any opinions i'd love to hear about it i've never tried it myself and i don't think i plan on trying it myself either uh going back two weeks ago to the final alan schwartz uh, story times uh, renfield writes what a great series this was a remarkable first-hand look in both depth and breadth behind the scenes of our hobby alan has a gift for storytelling and the hours flew by brian's done yeoman service helping to document a piece of history before it's lost while at the same time entertaining us many thanks renfield rob petrie wonder if he's married to laura that'd be too funny um no and you know and thank you guys for listening and and for all the kind comments uh with Alan, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. It was four hours of recording that had to be trimmed down and edited and deleted and tweaked and worked on more than I usually do. But, you know, you're right. It is. It's it's my this entire podcast radio show is my way of helping to get some of this information out and you know, creating a, a digital download uh, <laughs> wealth of stories. Uh, and going to last week with Alex Hasty, Casey Ghost writes very good show. Alexander Hasty was a wonderful interview. I can't believe he's only been carving for a few years. He's got a tough road ahead of him to make it as a full-time carver. There's very few carvers who get to work full-time at their craft. Uh, there's there just isn't enough money in it to do it full-time. He's from Ottawa, which is only 30 miles down the road from where I live. My wife was born, raised, and is a graduate of their high school. Uh, she left town when she was 19, only 55 years ago. We still go down to visit every so often. Nice music selection. Yeah, glad you like that piece of music. I hope you like this one, too. Uh, and then Newbroom says, I listened intently to this interview. It was pretty smooth. Then I was trying to think of something to comment, and the music began. Took my mind off of what I'd been trying to think. Uh, Brian, in another interview with Alex, I'd like to I'd like more about the Grant Batson input experience. Puff away, Mike. Yeah, I'd, I'd, that'd be interesting. We get back to him maybe in a year or so, see what's changed, see how he's doing, and then ask him more about the uh, about working with Grant and how that and how that came about. And then uh, Down Home Smoker says, Alexander's interview is enjoyable. I'm impressed with what he has accomplished in a short time. I wish him luck, and I hope he is able to stay making pipes full time. It's always nice when people are able to make a living doing what they love. Pleasant smokes. Uh, you are right, and all you young people out there, uh, if you can find something that you love doing, you may not make as much money as you can doing other things, but <laughs> you'll be a whole hell of a lot happier. Uh, and then finally, Crash the Gray says, good interview. I was surprised he started full-time already. Uh, best of luck to him. I always enjoy listening to break-in tips and experience. Nice segment. I agree on the song. Very uplifting and fun song, but had nothing to do with heartbreak for me. Uh, but you never know what the people are going through when they write a song. 
Uh, no, you don't. And you also never know how the listeners are going to handle it. Um, and then finally in the mailbag, uh, Dan Lockler sent me a couple of, a uh, couple of links to some pictures. One of them is from the Rob report and there is a, uh, it's a photo and a little caption about Patek Philippe's, uh, watches and, Anybody who knows watches knows that Patek Philippe is the most expensive watch brand out there, the most exclusive watch brand out there, and one of two watch brands that you're guaranteed that the prices are only ever going to go up on. Uh, but in the picture is a Patek Philippe watch, a pair of eyeglasses, a bowl, and in the bowl is a pipe. So the Rob Report is uh, uh, at least showing pipes, which is nice. And uh, my birthday's coming up and Christmas is coming up. So if anybody wants to buy me a Patek Philippe watch for my birthday, I just want a standard, you know, 33 millimeter manual wind. Nice little simple Patek Philippe. Uh, and then finally, Dan also sent me a picture of Marilyn Monroe pouring drinks for her then husband, Arthur Miller, and somebody else in the picture. And Arthur Miller sitting there smoking his pipe. So I was kind of wondering to myself, uh, I wonder if, Marilyn ever you know kind of puffed on Arthur's pipes at all then that would make Marilyn Monroe probably the uh, best looking female pipe smoker ever all right again comments and questions email me brian at pipesmagazine.com uh post them on the pipes magazine radio show page if you uh, get over to itunes we would appreciate a rating or review there uh doesn't cost anything if you're not if you're not on itunes just go on there register sign up and go over you know, subscribe to the Pipes Magazine radio show and then leave us a positive review. Uh, if you're interested in uh, getting away for this winter, there are some super deals on some cruises that just came out, including airfare, so you can contact me directly about that. Yeah, you know, hit me up through Facebook or through uh, brian.levine at mei-travel.com. Some of those deals are on the ship that I was last on that had a... Uh, decent little indoor smoking room where i'd sit and puff on my pipe and enjoy all right in just a moment rant time there's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine missouri meerschaum corn cob pipe an american legend since 1869 it's the coolest smoothest pipe i've ever owned check them out at corncobpipe.com Election time is coming up quickly, so don't forget to vote. This is my and this is my reminder for you to get out there and get out there and vote. Make an informed decision on your candidates and get out there and vote. Everybody says, oh, yes, I vote. Everybody says, of course, I know I vote. And everybody says, yes, of course, I know who I'm voting for. However, every time there's an election here in the U.S., it's all, you know, 60% of the possible voters, 70 percent's a great turnout. Well, get out there and vote. If you don't vote, don't complain. I don't want to see anything on Facebook except for, you know, those that voted. Put your little, on your Facebook page or on your Twitter page or whatever, put your little picture of your I voted sticker out there. Get out there, make an informed decision, and vote. If you don't vote, then shut up. That's my simple thing. If you don't vote, you know what? You ought to be you ought to be suffering on pumpkin spice lattes all year long instead of just for the you know three months of October. Uh, get out there and vote. Make an informed decision. Take some time. Sit down. Read and li- read about the candidates. Read about the proposals, and take your time and vote. You young people, get out there and vote. This is serious. It's time. You should be registered by now. Make sure and get out and vote. Do it early. You know, you can't go often, but do it early. <laughs> there you go. Uh, and, and remember, if you live in the United States, it's a privilege and it's a responsibility to be able to vote for your public officials. There are thousands of countries, or, you know, thousands of people in countries around the world that would love to be able to vote for, uh, for you know, their elected officials. 
All right, there you go. Uh, remember, keep sharing the Pipes Magazine radio show with all your friends, family, enemies, whoever. Tweet about it, post about it on Facebook. Share the Pipes Magazine radio show, the longest-running weekly Pipes Magazine radio show or pipe-related podcast out there. Uh, you know, normally at this point, I would thank Sykes for joining me, but... Um, he was kind of held hostage here, so I can't really thank him for joining me, but I, I will say thanks to Sykes for sitting down and, and the microphone with me and, and recording these, and uh, there's a couple more coming up, and I'm sure you'll enjoy them. So with all that being said, I will say thank you all for tuning in, and until next time. the clouds when we're together just sing a song and think about sunny weather happy If John David Cole is Tobacco Jesus, then our guy must be Tobacco Moses.